And go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, that's where we're going to be in God's Word this morning. Uh, I'm excited. Um, you know, we had a great couple of weekends um, with the women's retreat and the men's retreat. And uh, I'm, I'm excited because I got to see God do some incredible things uh, two weekends in a row. But, but I'm excited because I get to preach Jesus to you this morning. I, that's what's really exciting. You know, it may be cold outside, but it is hot up in here. Um, I feel some warm hearts, you know what I'm saying? And those warm hearts are, are, are kindling a fire within, and that fire is being fanned, and I love that. And uh, I'm just going to go ahead and apologize to my cameraman. Good luck in keeping up with me this morning, Brother Joey. Uh, I'm going to apologize to Brother Chris because he's probably going to have to work that volume control a little bit this morning. I, I might get a little loud, but that's all right. I'm going to get loud, and I'm going I'm to pep up my step for Jesus this morning. So um, we're going to dig in. Listen, over the past couple of weeks, what we've been doing is we've been looking at Mark chapter 2. We actually, last week, looked at the first few verses of Mark chapter 3. And what we've seen so far in Mark chapter 2 and in these first few verses of Mark chapter 3 is we've seen, it how, we've seen how people respond to Jesus. Okay, so Jesus has come into the world, uh, Jesus has began uh, his earthly ministry, and Jesus has already told us what he came to do, he came to preach, that's what he came to do, he came to preach the gospel, and so Jesus has, has already started doing that, and Jesus as well as preaching the gospel has began laying hands on people, touching people, healing people, uh, of course, we see the physical healing, but what has Jesus really been doing? He's been healing hearts. He, he's been changing hearts. And so we see responses from different people of Jesus' message, of Jesus' life, uh, of Jesus' works. And what we've seen so far is we've seen disciples respond. Now, how did they respond? I told you this last week. The disciples respond with humility. That They are humbled by this man, Jesus. As a matter of fact, when Jesus calls them to follow him, what does Mark say? Mark says they immediately followed him. In other words, the humility that they responded with to Jesus led them to obedience. But we've also seen another group of people, another group of people known as the Pharisees. And last week, we looked at the Pharisees and how they responded to Jesus. Now, I know we talked about the Sabbath, and that was the topic of discussion but what we really see in the Pharisees and how they respond to Jesus is we see pride. And their pride led them to accuse Jesus. Their pride actually led them to join a group of enemies called the Herodians. Listen, the Herodians and the Pharisees did not get along. But, but they hated Jesus so much that they were willing to join their enemies and begin plotting the death of Jesus Christ. So we see humility, we see pride, we see these responses to Jesus. And as we read this passage in Mark, I want us to remember one truth about Jesus. He is both fully God and fully man. Now, I know what you're thinking. How is that possible? I don't know. Like, I, there are some things that, that I just have to trust. <laughs> there are some things in the Bible I just have to believe. Like if you can explain God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit as three separate entities, yet one, good luck. That, that's hard to understand because in the Bible we see Jesus moving in flesh on the earth and we, we, we see God in all of creation and we see the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Holy Spirit hovers and the Holy Spirit falls and so we see them doing so, so these things so differently yet they do it together, they do it as one. And 
it's hard for me to understand how Jesus Christ is in this world and he is both fully God and fully man at the same time. But he is. So what does that mean? I I believe what that means is, is that he is here as author and perfecter of life. I believe he's here as creator. But I also believe he's here to experience life just like you and I experience life. In other words, he sees and hears just like us. He, he smells and he tastes just like, like we do. He, he, he feels things in, in this world just like we feel things. And I think that's so important as we, as we look at the Scripture today. See, I think the difficult thing for us to understand, to comprehend, is that how is Jesus fully God and fully man, and it makes it even more difficult to, to say, well, Jesus knows. But I'm going to tell you something, Jesus does know. You, you may be experiencing heartache right now, heartbreak right now in a relationship. I'm going to tell you something, Jesus knows. You, you may be going through, through trouble right now, through a storm right now at, at work. I'm going to tell you something, Jesus knows. You, you may be suffering right now physically. Let me tell you something, Jesus knows. He knows. Because, yes, he's fully God, but yes, he's fully man. And so he knows. Did you know that there are hundreds of songs, hundreds of songs that are written about pressure? Does anybody here feel pressure today? Did anybody come in here with a little pressure on you today? Maybe you had a little pressure put on you by your spouse this morning. Maybe this morning, parents, you had a little pressure because your kids were putting it on you. Or maybe kids, you had a little pressure on you this morning because your parents were putting it on you. Maybe you came in here this morning and you've been feeling a little pressure at work, right? Maybe your pressure has been financial. Maybe it's been physical. Maybe it's been relational. But I'm going to tell you something. I bet everybody in here has some sort of pressure on them today. I mean, I mean you may have come in here and said, I'm going I'm to remove all these distractions and I'm going to focus on Jesus today, but, but you got pressure on you right now. Well, there are a lot of songs about pressure. As a matter of fact, one of the best-selling songs ever is a song that I heard just on the radio this week. I was flipping through channels, and I got to this thing called 80s on 8 uh, on, on Sirius XM, and there was a song by Billy Joel, and the name of that song was Pressure. <laughs> I heard him singing it. I was like, wait, what? Like, how did I just all of a sudden hear that song? My kids, right, they love this, this, this movie called um, Encanto. They were watching it on the Disney Channel, and there's this big, strong woman. And you know what song she sings in that movie? It's a song called Surface Pressure. And she's singing this song about all these pressures she faces, right? From her family, from her friends. And so I'm thinking about all these songs and then, you know, I almost asked the praise team to play a little tune for me this morning. There was a song that hit number one. It's the greatest selling song with the title Pressure in it uh, by the band Queen and David Bowie. It's called Under Pressure. As a matter of fact, it's one of the songs that, that has been uh, used by other groups and other bands more than any other song. Pressure, under pressure. I, I think it's safe to say that we, we live this life and we have to deal with pressures. Amen? So according to Merriam-Webster, let me give you the definition of pressure. This is what pressure means. Pressure means the burden of physical, mental social or economic stress or distress. It is the stress of urgency, right? 
It's the urgency of matters that demand our attention. Let me ask you a question. Anybody in here, you, you've been demanded of your attention lately? Anybody? This weekend, I served on, on the cook team at our retreat, and uh, Brother Jeremy was our cook team captain. And I'm going to tell you something. When it comes to the kitchen, Brother Jeremy runs a tight ship. He does. He, he likes things to be done a certain way, and he likes it to be done on time, and, and he likes to step back and say, thumbs up, it's all good. And, and so I'm going to be honest with you, I, I, I was under a little pressure in that kitchen this week. Uh, that's not no, normally something that I do, but I'm glad I did. And, and so uh, my attention, right, um, was demanded by the boss. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus knows. Hear me again. Jesus knows what it is like to live under pressure. And we're going to see that today in Mark chapter 3. I want you to begin with me right here in verse 7. The Bible says, Jesus withdrew. Look at those two words. Jesus withdrew. Why? Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake. And a large crowd, a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Edomia, and the regions across the Jordan, and around Tyre, and around Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. Did you know that in the original Greek language, The word crowd, do you know what it means? It means to crush. It means crush. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? So he says, because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. This is an incredible passage of Scripture. And I believe we see two two truths here. Number one, Jesus was pressured by the crowds. He was. He, He was pressured by the crowds. Now, I want to remind you, back in Mark chapter 1, verse 38, this is what Jesus says. He says, let us go somewhere else. Why, why did Jesus want to go somewhere else? Because he was at Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house, and he was healing people, and everybody heard about it, and guess what happened? A bunch of people were waiting on him the next morning. Well, guess what Jesus wanted to do? He wanted to pray. And so Jesus got up real early. Right? And he went to pray, and the disciples came and found him and said, Hey, man, what are you doing? Like, like there are people waiting on you. And this is what Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, verse 38. Let us go somewhere else. Why? So I can preach. Let's not ever forget what Jesus primarily came to do. Jesus came to preach the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. Believe the message. Believe the good news. Jesus came to change your heart. Jesus came to save your life for all eternity. And I'll tell you, it's real easy to forget that. We think Jesus came to make us comfortable. We, we pray for it, don't we? 
We pray for comfort. Oh, Lord, take this pain away from me. Oh, Lord, take this storm away from me. Oh, Lord, please let the sun shine on me today. Think about it. Uh, We pray for the physical things and the, the mental things. And listen to me. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. But I will tell you this. We can focus so many times on our comfort that we miss the real reason Jesus wants to be with us. It's spiritual. It's about the heart Jesus came to preach the gospel with his words. He came to preach the gospel with his life. And that gospel is repent of your sin and believe in the good news. What we see in Mark chapter 3 is that Jesus' popularity was growing. He was becoming more and more popular every day. With every healing that took place, that's another person that's running out and going and say, Hey, I can use my hands now. Hey, look at my legs. I can walk now. And people are going, well, I want that. And so they're going to Jesus, not because they need heart change. They're going to Jesus because he's healing people physically. And so that's, that's very popular. Jesus was becoming very popular. Verse 8 reminds us, right? If you look at Mark 3, verse 8, it says people heard about what he was doing. Do you see that? They heard about what he was doing. Yet Jesus said, I came to preach. Sounds like to me they weren't really worried about what he was saying. They were only worried about what he was doing. And I'm going to tell you what they were doing for them. It seems to me that people wanted the miracles of Jesus a whole lot more than they wanted the message of Jesus. And I would ask you, are we any different today? We pray and pray and pray for the miracles of Jesus in our life. Yet our ears are stopped up and we can't hear the message of Jesus. Pastor R. Kent Hughes says this, We must be careful because the demands of popularity are overwhelming. Popularity can, and it often does, seduce ministry. But as we see, our Lord would allow nothing, not even the popularity of the crowds or even the success to divert him from his primary ministry, which was to preach the gospel. So listen to me. Jesus was pressured by the crowds. And that word crowd means crushed. He was being crushed by the crowds. And they wanted one thing. Heal me. Heal my hand. Heal heal my legs. Uh, I've got leprosy. Take this leprosy from... He was being crushed. He was being pressured. He was living life under pressure because of the crowds. As we see in this passage, that's not it. Jesus was even pressured by the demons. You see it right there? In verses 11 and 12, Jesus was pressured by the demons. This was another real pressure that Jesus faced. Listen, there were many demon-possessed people in Jesus' day. We see it. In each biblical episode, the demons know who Jesus is. They know who he is. As a matter of fact, in this passage, in verse 11, the impure spirit cries out, You are the Son of God. I did some research, and here's what I found out. In the ancient days, the Bible says, and and even other theologians, what they say is, is when these demons, when they would cry out, you are the son of God, do you know what ancient theology tells us? They were saying that because they believed if they confessed that, then that power would would be lost. Like that person with power would lose that power when they pointed at him and claimed the truth about him. That's pretty interesting. Here are the demons, right? They see Jesus and they say, you're the son of God. What are they wanting? They want, they want to be left alone. 
Let us do what we're doing to this person, to this community. And so many theologians agree that Jesus, right, when he told this demon to shut up, to not go out and say anything. Many theologians agree, and I agree, I believe this. Jesus would not allow unbelieving demons to share the good news that should be shared by people who hear his message, repent of sin, and embrace him as Lord. Why would he allow the demons to tell people who he is when you and I get to do that? And should do that. Pastor Daniel Aiken says, a demonic declaration of Jesus' deity would not help the mission of Jesus because it is both the wrong source and the wrong time. These were real pressures that Jesus faced. Real pressures. Pressure from the demons, pressure from the crowds. And I'm going to tell you something. In this one passage, that's what we see, but Jesus, he faced all kinds of pressures in all kinds of places from all kinds of people. So here's the question that I want to ask today. Because you're sitting here and you're going, Brother Jeff, you keep talking about these pressures. And Brother Jeff, you're giving me this example of all these pressures that Jesus faced. But, but what did Jesus do? Right? What did Jesus do about these pressures that he faced? Well, let me show you. Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. And I'm going to have to tell you, and I know I say this a lot, but I really do mean this. This is one of my favorite passages. And I've read it a bunch of times, but I've read it for what I wanted it to say rather than what God wants to say. And so I'm going to share it hopefully with you in a fresh new light today. Think about the pressures that Jesus faced. Think about the pressures that you faced and think about this question. What did Jesus do about those pressures? Verse 13, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him. And, notice the order here. What's first? Be with him. That's first. This is on purpose. (laughs) That they might be with him and that he might send them out to what? Say that again. Send them out to what? Preach. What did Jesus say he came to do? He came to preach. What what did it say right here? It says he wanted them to be with him so that he could do what with them? Send them out to preach. It's pretty important. And to have authority to drive out what? Demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Bonerges, which means sons of thunder. We got a Sunday school class named Sons of Thunder. And I'm going to tell you, we got, we got some fired up men in that class too. I love them. Verse 18, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is an incredible passage of Scripture. And many, many times when I read this passage of Scripture, I don't look at the passage before it. And I don't really look at the passage after it. What I do is I look at it, and I'm, I look at it, and I'm saying, Jesus wants me to be with him. And, I, and I, I think about it. And listen, it's incredible. Just think about that. Jesus wants me to be with him. Jesus wants you just to be with him. But think about the context, right? What did he just come out of? He just came out of pressure. 
Amazing pressure that was put on him by the crowd. Amazing pressure that was put on him even by the demons. And I'm going to tell you something. If you keep reading, and we will next Sunday unless you want to read ahead, he's going to have more pressure come against him by his own family, his flesh and blood. Anybody got a little pressure in here this morning from your own family? Right? Your own flesh and blood? Remember what I said earlier? Jesus knows. Don't tell me he don't know, because I'll find you a passage of Scripture and show you he knows. A lot of times when we're under pressure, guess what we feel like? I'm all alone. Nobody understands. Have you ever said that before, about what you're going through? Nobody gets it. I'm going to tell you something Jesus does. (laughs) Jesus gets it. He knows. So what did Jesus do? Right off the bat, I'm going to tell you what he did. He withdrew. Jesus withdrew. When you go back and you look at verses 7 through 12, it says that Jesus withdrew to the lake. He withdrew to the lake to do what? To spend quiet time with his father. That's what he did. He, he, he withdrew, right, to the lake to spend quiet time with his disciples. Yet what happened? The crowds kept following him. They kept pressuring him. And so what did Jesus tell his disciples? Hey, go have a small boat ready for me. Why? We're going to go across to the other side. In verse 13, in this passage, we see that Jesus withdraws to where? The mountainside. I did a little research on that because I find it very interesting in the Gospels. It says that Jesus goes to the mountain a lot. Have you ever noticed that? He goes to the mountain a lot. Let me me just show you what I'm talking about. For whatever reason... Mountains are important in the Bible, and they're important in the life of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was taken high on a mountain, and guess what happened to him? He was tempted by the devil to sin three times. And my brothers in this room who were on that retreat this weekend, we, know, we talked about this a little bit, didn't we? When Jesus was tempted by Satan on the mountain, right, three times, Jesus used three words. My brothers, tell me what he said. That's a beautiful, that's a beautiful phrase. It is written. Jesus quoted Scripture. When the pressures came against him. I mean, Jesus is the word become flesh. <laughs> but in his humanity, what did he do? He spoke the word out loud. So Jesus was on the mountain in Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus preached the greatest message that has ever been preached, known as the Sermon on the Mount. He was on a mountain. Later in Mark chapter 9, and we'll get there, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John high up on the mountain, and they get to see what? The transfiguration. In Matthew 28, Jesus instructed his disciples to go to the mountain where I will speak to you. And that's where he delivered the Great Commission. Jesus withdrew. On this mountainside, in Mark 3, Jesus withdrew to the mountain as he faced pressures in his life. And what did he do on that mountain? We just saw it. He prayed. Jesus prayed. What did Jesus do? When the pressures of life came on him, he withdrew. Now listen to me and be very careful here. So if, 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 I'm, a, if I'm a coach, as a matter of fact, we got, we got Coach Storm up here and he brought his baseball team to church today. Brother Storm, I appreciate that. Leading your young men in the Lord. But if I'm a coach like, like Storm and I'm a, I'm a coach and I got a team and, and something happens and we can't play in a tournament, you know what we do? We withdraw from the tournament. It's very easy to take that word withdraw and think to quit. But that's not what it means. It means to back up. 
It means to back up a step. It doesn't mean to quit. Okay? So Jesus withdrew. He wasn't quitting ministry. He wasn't quitting preaching. I'm going to tell you something. He wasn't quitting healing. He's going to continue to heal. But he withdrew because the pressure was so great and he wanted and he needed communion with his Father. And he couldn't do that when he had all these pressures on him. So he withdrew. He's handling the pressure. I'm going to tell you something. He's doing more than handling the pressure. He's having victory over it by withdrawing from it, and he's praying. In Luke's parallel account, because many of these Gospels, as you know, they share the same truths. They share the same circumstances. Mark's audience is a Roman audience, right? Matthew's audience is a Jewish audience. We could keep going, right? But but here's the parallel account. In Luke chapter 6, right? Listen to what it says. In verse 12, one of those days, he's talking about the same thing that Mark is talking about that we just read. It says, one of those days, Jesus went to the mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. Think about that for a minute. He spent the night praying to God. At this retreat this weekend, um, I didn't get a lot of sleep. Did did y'all? No, uh, uh, uh-uh. I'm gonna tell you. uh, Friday night, we 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 did some praying together, and 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 what I love is is that when the song ended, or when one man said "Amen," the praying didn't stop. It didn't stop. I, I I went to make sure my responsibilities were were taken care of so that I could get to my get to my, my bed, and, and, and when I did, I walked back through the, through, through the gym where we were, and there were guys praying together. And I walked out of that gym saying, thank you, God, for men who are willing to stay up all night and pray. All night praying. Well, guess who did it first? The one we pray to. Jesus. Amen, brother. Jesus did it. He spent the night praying to God. Jesus shows us time and time again in his life that prayer matters. That prayer is vital. It is absolutely necessary. I love what Dr. David Jeremiah says about Luke's gospel. He says Luke frequently focuses on Jesus' prayer life, showing us how indispensable it was to his life and to his ministry And he includes choosing the 12 apostles, his closest associates, by praying for them. Jesus prayed for them, and he spent all night praying for them. So how did Jesus handle these pressures that he was facing in this life? He withdrew. He withdrew. He said, I've got to say no to this right now and say yes to the one who sent me here. I'm going to pray to him. And I'm going to pray for the ministry that he's given me on this earth. Listen, Jesus shows us, right, how to handle the pressure. Not only that, what's great about this passage of Scripture and what's so important about this passage of Scripture is not only did Jesus withdraw himself, not only did Jesus begin praying, but Jesus called men and shared it with them. 
This is so important. Jesus called and he shared. He called the apostles to himself. First and foremost to just be with him. Think about that for just a minute. I love chicken. Most Baptist preachers do. If they don't, they're probably not a Baptist preacher. We like some fried chicken. I like chicken, right? But there's one brand that I want. You give me the option, and I'm picking Chick-fil-A every time. Right? It's something to need something. It's a whole other thing to want something. Right? It's something to need, but it's a whole other thing to want. Don't miss this. The Bible says Jesus wanted them. He wanted them. And he wanted them to be with him. Why did he want them to be with him? I believe it's twofold. I really do. I believe Jesus wanted to invest in them. He wanted to pour into them because he knew that they would go out and be his hands and feet. But I believe Jesus enjoyed intimacy with them. Just brother to brother. Just living life together. Says he wanted them to be with him. Think about who Jesus called as his apostles. Listen to this. He called fishermen. Right? Fishermen. He called a revolutionary zealot. Simon the zealot. You go look up a zealot and see what that is. Go look it up. I ain't ain't got time to preach it this morning, but go look it up. He called a tax collector. We've already looked at that passage of Scripture. A man named Levi, also known as Matthew. How did the people respond to that calling? (laughs) We know. Does this guy know who that is? Like, he's a traitor. Speaking of traitor, he called Judas Iscariot. Knowing what Judas Iscariot would do. Yet he still called him. He brought them together to be with him. He united them with his message. And he united them with ministry. These apostles, these disciples, came to know Jesus intimately. How? By just being with him. Listening to the message. Listen, they heard the words he said, but they did more than that. They listened to the words, which means they embraced it. When they were confused, they asked questions. When they didn't understand, they asked questions. But not only that, we see that Jesus called them to himself, but then he shared with them, right? Listen to me. What do you think he shared? I believe he shared ministry with them because it says, you will go out and do what? We've already said it. You'll go out and do what? Preach the gospel. And you'll go out and have authority to do what? Drive out demons. Well, what was Jesus doing the whole time? Preaching the gospel and driving out demons. But don't miss this. We always think about ministry and we think about the blessings of ministry, but I'm going to tell you something. Ministry can be a burden too. It can be heavy at times. And I talked to pastors I love this weekend because... I got to spend time with some pastors who were there. And man, we got some pastors who are so humble. And, and who are leading in, in servanthood, leading in ministry. And I'm so thankful that I got to bump elbows with, with Brother Eddie and, and Brother Rick and other pastors this weekend. Because man, we were just, as one of them said, man, this is, this is, this is iron sharpening iron. And it was. It was so good. But you know what I saw? I didn't see one pastor trying to do all of it or another pastor trying to do all of it. I saw pastors coming together 
and, and, and sharing the load. And I saw laymen sharing the load. Ministry is a blessing, but ministry is also a burden. You want to know why it's a burden? Because we are broken people and we are dealing with broken people all day long, every day. And that's hard. So what did Jesus do when he was crushed by the crowds? What did Jesus do when he was crushed by the demons? What did Jesus do when he faced, faced pressure, when he was under pressure in, in this place and in that place, in this circumstance and that circumstance? I'm going to tell you what Jesus did. He withdrew. He prayed and he called and shared. That's what he did. I love this. If Jesus... If Jesus shows us this with his life, why wouldn't we follow that? Why wouldn't we do the same? Why wouldn't we? I, I want to ask you this question before we close. What, what pressure do you face today? As a matter of fact, I want to do this right now. I'm going I'm to I'm try to remove a distraction. Close your eyes right now. Close, just close your eyes. What pressure do you face right now? Let me throw some out there. Is it a relationship with a spouse, with a mom, with a dad, with a sibling, with a brother, with a sister, with a fellow Christ follower, it, with a friend? Maybe, maybe, it, maybe it's with an enemy. Is it financial? Is it a financial pressure? Is it a, is it a responsibility pressure on the job? Keep your eyes closed. What pressure do you face today? Matter of fact, let me, let me, let me make it even better. What pressures do you face? Because probably if you're like me, you can't name one, you can name five. <laughs> Maybe you can name ten. What pressures do you face? This, I want you to visualize it. I want you to see it right now with your eyes closed. What pressure is on you? Now with your eyes closed, let me ask you this. What are you going to do with those pressures? What are you going to do with those pressures? Now open your eyes. I have done the best that I can do to show you the right way to handle whatever pressure you just saw in your heart and in your life. I've shown you the only way to have victory. Listen to me. Not just handle. I have shown you the only way to have victory over that pressure. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Yes, Jesus came to save you from your sin. He came to cleanse you. Right? Not just forgive you, but cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He came so that you may have life and have it to the full. He came so that you can have life right here, right now, and life eternal. But I'm going to tell you something else. He came to show you how to live that life right here and right now. In preparation for that life eternal. And if you're caving in, and if you're being defeated by all this pressure, that's not of the Lord. Because the Lord showed you how to handle and have victory over that pressure. You withdraw. Sometimes you got to say no. 
I, I love my retreat ministry brothers now. I got a bunch of them. One of them asked me yesterday, hey, are you going to work this one? Are you going to work this one? You know what I said? No. I did. I didn't even think about it. You want to know why? Because I'd already prayed about it. I said, no, I'm not working that retreat. No, I'm not even working that retreat. You want to know why? Because I've got to have time to pull back. And I've got to have time to spend with my Lord, just me and my Lord. And I need to pray. And I've got some other things He wants me to do. But I know if He wants me to be in one, He'll show me. That's a hard thing to do. You want to know why? Because I love. I love what God's doing through this retreat ministry. I love. How many of you love to serve? You don't have to raise your hand, but, man, I love to serve, right? I I love getting in that kitchen and cooking a meal and serving my church family on a Sunday night. I I love ministry. I do. And I can get so caught up in the ministry and so caught up in performing that it becomes an idol. And it separates me. It doesn't separate me from, for eternity from my Father. It separates me from the fellowship with my Father. So I just got to say no. And that's hard for me to do, Brother Mike. My wife can tell you, it's hard for me to say no. I get asked to do this and that. I'm like, oh, yeah, I want, yeah, yeah. Because I know the eternal impact and I know, the, I know how it can change. But did Jesus heal everybody that came to him in the Bible physically? No, he did not. We just read it. What did he do when the crowds came and wanted to be healed? It said he withdrew. Now, we don't know in Scripture if he went back. Maybe he did, but we, the Bible don't say that. I'm going to tell you what. Jesus was focused on what he came to do for your eternity, right? Which is down the cross so that you could repent and have your heart changed. That's what he was focused on. And so Jesus had to say no sometimes. And he had to pull back. He had to withdraw. So here's my question. Will you rely on Jesus? Will you rely on Jesus when you're under pressure? Will you follow his example? Not just how to handle the pressure, but how to have victory over it. I can't do that for you just like you can't do it for me. All I can do is show you what Scripture says. Will, will you withdraw? Will you find that quiet place, that still place, so that you can just be with Him? Will you pray earnestly, laboriously? Will you spend the night praying? Man, I was convicted on that. You might say, well, Brother Jeff, your prayers are long when you're here. It ain't long compared to Jesus. And what I have found that is, I pray... I pray short prayers. I pray, I pray shallow prayers. That's, that's what I'm finding in my own life. Man, I want to pray like Jesus. I want to spend the night praying more often. Because that's what he did. Will you call on others? Will you share with others? You know, that's another thing. And praise God for the helpmate that he put in my life because she... She, led by the Spirit, helps convict me of this all the time. I have a hard time asking other people to help me. I do. I have a hard time asking other people to share loads with me. And, and I'm not going to do this publicly because I've already done this privately, but there, there's a pressure that, that I'm facing in, in my life 
And, and just this past week, I called on two men that I love. And two men that I know love me. And I haven't done this. I know I hadn't done this in the last 10 years. But I called on two men and I told them something that was pressing me personally. And I told them what it was. I didn't just say, hey, will you guys pray for me because something's going on. You know what I did? I said, guys, I need you two to pray for me because this is going on. And I don't know how to handle it. I know I can pray, but I can't do this by myself. That's what I said. And both of those guys didn't just say, thumbs up. They didn't just say, oh, we'll pray for you. What they did was they sent me a prayer back, right? They prayed with me. For the first time in a long time, what I did was, I did what Jesus did. Right? I pulled back. I pulled back. I didn't try to handle the situation. I just pulled back. I withdrew. I didn't quit on it. I just withdrew. And I just sat at the feet of Jesus. And you know what Jesus said? Share that with somebody. That's what he said. Share it. I didn't even tell my wife this. Didn't even tell, I didn't need to. Because I told the ones my Lord told me to tell. I said, brothers, here's what's going on. And I did it in detail. And they know I did. They're in here. Here's the details. I need you to carry this with me. And you know what? They did. And they are. And you know what today? I ain't worried about it. I ain't living in fear about it. I ain't living in doubt. That's what happens when you withdraw, when you pray, and when you call on someone and you share it with them. And that's the beauty of this retreat ministry. This weekend, there were some guys who were pressed, who were being crushed. And you can call it what you want. You can call it sin. You can call it guilt of sin. You can call it shame. You can call it abandonment. You can call it resentment. You can call it anger. You can call it bitterness. But here's the thing. It was a burden. And it was a heavy burden. And a lot of these men are walking and carrying it alone because they don't think anybody else cares. Or maybe because they're prideful and just don't want to share. Well, guess what? They did this weekend. And I heard a bunch of chains fall. I saw a bunch of chains fall. Amen, brothers? And I think my sisters in the room can say the same thing. Yeah. When you do what the Lord did, when you do what the Lord says to do, I'm going to tell you something. That's life to the full. And I thank God I can live that. Do I still have that pressure in my life? Yeah, I do. I ain't had victory over it yet, but you know what? I'm going to. You want to know why? Because I got Jesus in me. And that pressure will not defeat me. (laughs) Oh, the world might look at it and say, yep, you got whipped. I'm going to look at it and say, no, my Jesus whipped it. My Jesus whipped it. It's all about perspective. You see what you want, but I know. And what I know is what I know. I know my Lord. My prayer today is that you know the Lord too. My prayer today is that you know what the Lord did for you and you experience what the Lord is doing for you and you never forget what the Lord's going to do when He comes back. Right? On the cross, He used three words. It is, he used three words a lot. <laughs> On the cross, He said, It is finished. In other words, He did what He said He was going to do and what He came to do. He died for you and He died for me and He paid the price.
He said, it's finished. I'll tell you what, he's coming back. And he's coming back to make all things new. And I'm going to be with him. I hope you are too. And I hope today you don't walk out of these doors under pressure. Because all you got to do is pray. Call on Jesus and share it. You can walk out life full, abundant. But guess what? We used another word at this retreat this weekend. Choose. You have to choose. I pray you choose wisely.